A blow to the Astros pitching staff, baseball's potential $400 million man, an infection from a tattoo lends a Yankee reliever to the IL, an old-timer's day to remember at City Field, oh, and the latest with the pennant races in baseball, Serena's last hurrah, and can Nick Kyrgios get back to a Grand Slam final and win it as the U.S. Open commences today at Flushing Meadow, a couple of injuries that could impact a Thunder team trying to gain respect, and a Celtic team trying to win a championship, plus Roy McIlroy wins the FedEx Cup again, but it's not a major. Stick around if you want to get your sports appetite satiated. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc., All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please, throw me a few stars, write a review, it will go a long way into getting the word out, even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media, I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels Podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. September is creeping up on us, and so is the end of this damn Sports Dead Zone Part 2, but don't despair. There are a few topics and storylines that I'll delve into. Thank you very much for stopping by, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me, going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Yes, as we start to climb out of the rubble, of middle July now to the end of August we are starting to see the sunrise from the horizon or maybe the skies are starting to get a little bit sunny because the sun hasn't popped up just yet this coming weekend we'll have college football I'll even have a preview come this Thursday and then we could get ready for an NFL season which will start 10 days from today and then hope will spring eternal everybody can exhale everybody could just rejoice that the NFL season will be back And then we'll go full bore from that point on through the end of the year as it's going to be constant sports pretty much between now and we would say February with the Super Bowl. Because then we have to usher in the fall and winter sports, but that's still another six to eight weeks from now. And as far as what I got for you today, U.S. Open kicks off at the Flushing Meadow Tennis Center as there's quite a bit to get into there. Serena's last hurrah as we will probably think, considering the Vogue article earlier this month about her evolution, 
I'll also touch on the men's side with Nick Kyrgios, the run that he had at Wimbledon. Does he have another one in store and possibly to win his first major Grand Slam? That's a storyline that we'll dive into. And of course, no Novak Djokovic as he's nowhere to be found. And even then, I have a big question mark as far as that goes. We'll touch on that. Rory McIlroy came from behind yesterday to win a FedEx Cup for the third time in his career. But sadly, it's not a major. So... I'll get into that, and I'm sure the golf fans probably going to look at it and say, come on, Jay Reels, that's a great accomplishment, which it is, but when we look at golf as a whole and where you stand as far as legacy and your resume, a FedEx Cup is not going to be as sexy as winning a Masters, a U.S. Open, an Open, and a PGA. That's all there is to it, so I'll discuss that later on. Also, the NBA had a couple of key injuries. With a rookie, Chet Holmgren, and the Celtics, a veteran, and Danilo Gallinari. I'll get into that. Quite a bit to chew on, even with the NFL. Preseason concluded yesterday, thank God. But now we could zero in on an NFL season, as I mentioned, which will be a week and a half from now. But you have some stories, one on the field and one off the field, that just uh, does not look good. But I'll share that later on. As we all know, baseball... As we get closer to the month of September, as we get now deeper into the season, and the things that we can look at over the weekend, which are a little bit alarming, and at the same time, not surprising, I'll start off on the injury front, where the Astros, and I'm sure the whole city, are holding their collective breaths over Justin Verlander, as yesterday he pitched against the Orioles, only through three innings, 60 pitches, and left the game with a calf injury. Now, of course, the first thing you think to yourself is, thank God it's not his arm. We all know he came back from Tommy John this year. We've seen the year that he's had so far. He's going to win the Cy Young in the American League. What is he, 16-3? and three, An ERA that's under 2, whip at .85. What could you say for a guy that's 39 years old, who's on his way to the Hall of Fame, won a World Series in 2017, about to win another Cy Young, has won an AL MVP, And he's just as dominant now as he was 10 years ago when he did win that MVP. I believe that was 2012. So for the Astros, in order for them to not only get to a World Series, because we've seen them do that over the years, obviously last year against the Braves, but to have that anchor, to have that horse, we know that the Astros were missing that type of guy in that World Series last year against the Atlanta Braves to where they possibly could have won a World Series. But as we've seen... They lost in six games. We didn't know what his status would be this year. Obviously, he was going to pitch. But again, with all the miles on his arm, coming back from a Tommy John surgery, again at the age of 39, nobody in their right frame of mind, probably other than Verlander, expected to have a season like this. And now as you're deep into the dog days and you're just waiting for October to come so you could get started on that train to hopefully a World Series if you're in the Houston area and for your top pitcher to... For the time being, go down, everybody has to have their fingers crossed. I know I would, because the one thing that is missing from this Astro team, and even with the manager, Dusty Baker, and we've talked about that going back to last year, all the missed opportunities and all the chances that he's had managing in a World Series, whether it was in San Francisco, whether it was the even Cubs, I understand he didn't manage in a World Series, but remember, he was the manager of that Cub team, Steve Bartman, where they had a 3-2 series lead, and the Marlins ended up winning the last two games against Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor to get to a World Series. 
the opportunity in Washington that he had winning a division and not being able to get out of the division series. And then, of course, last year where he was that close, granted that the Braves had a commanding lead, but they went back to Houston, down 3-2, and we saw them losing a game six. So for Dusty, and obviously for this team that's had this cast over them with the whole cheating scandal going back to 2017, we have to get over that, and I'm not bringing that up to rehash that whole scenario. But in order to really make this legit, considering that they had two shots at it, and you want to question 2019 with the Jose Altuve tugging the jersey as he hit the home run off Aroldis Chapman, and I'll get to him in a minute. Put that aside, last year making their run and falling short, and here they are with another opportunity. They're going to win a division by a mile and get ready for a division series, but they know that they could take their time. Verlander's going to be a guy that's going to want to get back out there, and we don't know the prognosis just yet. I'm sure the Astros are going to take precautions times 10 because they know how much he means to not only the staff, but to this team, and as much as they've been this close to win a World Series, they know that without him, it's probably going to be another year where they've come this close, but then again, they were so far. So we don't know what's going to happen here, whether he's going to miss a start or two. I don't think it's serious to where he's going to be out a long extended period of time. But you know that that's going to be big news, especially in baseball. I get it. The NFL fan's not going to care or the average sports fan. are going to be Justin who? Understood. But for the baseball fan, knowing that without him at any point in October is going to be big news as we are just six weeks away, really now five weeks away, from the hunt to Red October. That's number one. Aroldis Chapman. Now, can we fault him for getting a tattoo on his leg to where it got infected? As we all know, people get tattoos all the time, and you don't hear many horror stories about it. If anything, you hear the horror stories about them getting removed. But in this case, people could say, That was very selfish of him to go ahead and get a tattoo. Why would he do that in the middle of the season where he knows the potential of infection and things of that nature? I'm sure he's gotten plenty of tattoos. As we've seen, he has a few on his neck. And it's his life. He could do whatever he wants. I'm not going to be one to be a contrarian to say, oh, he shouldn't have done that. He should have waited till the offseason. He could do whatever he wants. And again, it's just a tattoo. It's not as if he was doing anything extreme over the top to where he was going to jeopardize his team, team's chances, the trust in the locker room with his teammates. But as it is right now, this happens to crop up at a time where the Yankees are kind of going through it. They won the first two games in Oakland, and you're thinking, all right, maybe they could at least win one of the next two, win a series, feel even better about themselves before going to Anaheim. And what happened? They couldn't even hit their way out of a wet paper bag Saturday night where they got one hit in, I believe, 11 innings and then just four hits yesterday and a 4-1 loss, losing the back two of that four-game series in Oakland. But back to Chapman, we know that he's on the mend. We know that he's had a rough year all around, an ERA that's close to five. All of the yips that he's had with the walks and ineptitude, although he had pitched better down the stretch here, but for him to be on the shelf now for who knows, 10, 15 days, whatever it may be, with a bullpen that is running on fumes and is hanging by a thread when it comes to their health. 
We've talked about this several times. No Chad Green. Zach Britton, or those on the men, but who knows when is he going to return? Clay Holmes, I believe, is coming off of the IL if he hasn't done so already over the weekend, but how effective is he going to be remains to be seen because he has not pitched well since the All-Star break, and of course he was an All-Star this year based on his first half. No Michael King. Loizaga hasn't seemed to get his touchback, although has had glimpses, but still not the way he was when he pitched in 2021. And Chapman, he's still an arm. He still can throw that fastball and have that wicked slider. But we know from one relief outing to the next, he is as unpredictable as the weather. And now that you have him out, who knows what that means between his ears and even in his chest to know that if he has lost some trust in the locker room, if it's a situation where maybe the manager is not going to have a lot of faith in him, probably didn't have as much faith in him as it was considering the year that he's had. But now with this situation and trying to not necessarily downplay it, but knowing that he's going to be out and wondering in a big spot, will we ever see Chapman, whether it be down the stretch in the regular season, granted that they have the division already locked up, even though they are seven games ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays and they still have a couple of series, including this coming weekend. But let me see that lead trimmed to three, and then I'll talk about it. If I'm a Yankee fan, seven is still a big enough lead. They're still in good shape. But Chapman, who knows? That's all I could say about him. He's a guy that could be a wild card and a guy that could surprise you down the stretch in October if he continues to build some confidence or he's a guy that's just literally going to implode and is going to be either in mop-up duty or if the Yankees have a 9-3 lead game two in the division series where he's going to come in and try to get some work. To me, this was a freak incident. I can't kill him over it. Yes, you could look at that and say, oh, geez, seriously, he's going to be on the show for that long, but could he have used better judgment? Maybe, but can you kill him overall? No, he's just getting a tattoo. You know, it's not as if he was going to get some sort of surgery that was in vain and made you wonder why would he do this at this juncture of the season. It's not to that regard. It's just a tattoo, but as luck would have it, here he is, not going to pitch for about another week and a half to two weeks. And then you have Julio Rodriguez as I wrap up the storylines from baseball over the last few days. Signing a 14-year, $210 million deal with the Seattle Mariners, but this deal could reach in upwards of $470 million. Now, details weren't released. Based on what I read, it's really unique and even somewhat complicated as to how this contract could get to $470 million. I'm sure there are a lot of clauses in there and a lot of bonuses, whether it's winning an MVP, an LCS MVP, World Series MVP. You would think that there's a lot of that in there and maybe... Who knows? The guaranteed money, I believe, is 210 but can increase to, you know, when you think about it, more than double that, which is something I've never heard. But I guess Seattle, maybe it's a situation with deferred money at some point. Uh, who knows? Obviously not privy to that. But we've seen baseball do this to where they lock in these young stars, whether your name is Fernando Tatis Jr. Of course, Juan Soto's going to get his big payday. But granted, he's going to be about... 25, 26 years old before he gets that 400 or even $500 million contract where Tatis at 21 got this contract. Rodriguez, as we've seen here. Wander Franco last year with the Rays, and he's had a nightmare of a season being on the IL 
for various stints throughout the course of this year. So again, we can't look at just this one year and say that he's not lived up to this contract. He still has his whole baseball life ahead of him. But at 21, the Rays said, "Uh uh-uh, we're going to lock this guy up. He is the face of our franchise. And the Mariners did the same thing. Even the Braves, to a certain extent, with Austin Riley, they gave him a 10-year, $212 million deal, which I didn't really discuss a few weeks back, which makes you think, Ronald Acuna Jr. must say, I got to fire my agent. Because why did I sign a few years back an eight-year, $100 million contract when this guy could easily make anywhere between 350 to $450 million? And I understand he's coming off of an ACL, but we know how electric of a talent he is and how he's going to be one of the future stars in baseball, and he already is now, when you think about it. But I'm sure he's probably kicking himself in his rear end, thinking that my teammate got $212 million, and... I see all these other players in baseball that have reached the mountaintop when it comes to getting paid, and here I am making a paltry $100 million. Now, is anybody going to shed a tear for him? Of course not. He's got to blame himself, or even worse, his agent, for brokering that deal. But give credit to the Braves, because whether it's Ozzie Albies, even Michael Harris, they locked him eight years for $72 million, and knowing that they're not even going to deal with arbitration years and deal with... $250, $300 million contracts. Granted, they gave Austin Riley that money. But they have their team intact. And they're not going anywhere. And you want to throw in Matt Olson? That's another thing with his eight-year, $168 million deal. Now, they're going to have to pay the pitchers at some point. The Max Freeds of the world. I don't know if you're going to pay Mike Soroka, considering he's been injured over the last two years. But you get what I'm coming from. So Rodriguez signs that big deal. He's been a breath of fresh air for the Pacific Northwest. Obviously, it's a big boon for that team as they're looking to get into the postseason. And we'll segue that into what's happening with the latest in the wild card and the divisions. And I don't want to beat the same drum as I have been over the last few weeks, but nothing really has changed, people. I know I got to keep your abreast. I know that I have to detail what's gone on here over the last few days. And when we look at the American League wild card, it's pretty much the same three teams. Tampa, a game and a half up over Toronto, who has the last playoff spot in the wild card, sandwiched in between all the Mariners. Now, both the Mariners and Blue Jays both have 58 losses. The Rays have 57. But the Blue Jays actually have a couple of games in hand with the Mariners and with the Rays, as I'm doing my math as we speak. Actually, they're a game in hand with the Rays and two games with the Mariners. That's why they're a game behind Seattle. That's the Blue Jays. And then you have the Orioles, a game and a half back, who had a good weekend in Houston, winning two out of three, but they did lose yesterday, even with Verlander out, as I mentioned, leaving in the third inning. But the Orioles are hanging tight, playing well, two in the loss, but a game and a half behind the Blue Jays. And then the Twins are three back. And then the White Sox, Red Sox, you can forget about it. They're both six and seven right now as they're trying to dig themselves out of that. Although the White Sox do have an opportunity for the division, but I'll get to that in a minute. As far as the NL wild card, we know the Braves are in good shape. They did lose two out of three over the weekend to the Cardinals in St. Louis. Now they come back home to play the Colorado Rockies, which I'm sure they're licking their wounds, even though yesterday they did beat Max Scherzer at City Field. But the Phillies with a welcome sight. Bryce Harper back into the lineup as a DH coming off of the broken pinky, I believe it was, when he got hit by a pitch six weeks ago. 
So now with Harper back and the Phillies playing very well here, they did lose to the Pirates yesterday, but they've been on a roll. They had won six in a row leading up into that game, and they are currently two and a half games ahead of the Padres for the third spot. The Braves are well ahead. They're going to lock that fourth wild card spot and have at least home field in the wild card round. The Padres, like I said, two and a half with the final NL wild card spot, and then you have the Brewers a game and a half, but tied in the loss as the Brewers have three games in hand with the Padres. So that's something to keep an eye on because the Padres, we understand what's gone on there with Josh Hader, that trade, funny enough, with Milwaukee, who has not pitched well. We know what's happened to Fernando Tatis Jr. with the suspension, and this Padre team, which had played very well throughout the course of this whole year up until recently, And now you got to wonder whether or not that they have enough to get to the finish line. They have to make it to the postseason this year based on all the moves that they made, even bringing in Soto and what they're going to do with him long term. They still have some time to at least work around to see whether or not Soto is going to be a part of that mix because you already have two $300 million players on your team by putting Soto onto your payroll from 2023 and beyond. That means another I would think $400 million minimum. So the Padres have a lot of pressure on them to make it at least to this postseason based on the nightmarish year last year and then off to the great start, falling into the division, and then now pretty much hanging by their fingernails to make it into this postseason for 2022. As for the divisions, the NL East, Mets have a three-game lead. They were able to gain a game over the weekend They won three out of four against Colorado. As I mentioned, Scherzer, who pitched well yesterday, you can't fault him. Seven innings, one run, four hit, one walk, 11 strikeouts, but the Met offense was out to lunch as they weren't able to muster up a run against the Rockies. And now they have the Dodgers, and I'll get to them in a minute. They'll be coming into Citi Field this week. And for the moment, keeping the Braves at bay. In the AL Central, the Guardians, who uh, lost two out of three over the weekend, and now are sitting at 67-59, and 59, two games ahead of the Twins, who have played better of late. The Twins coming off of a sweep at the hands of the San Francisco Giants. So let's see if the Twins could get their act together to see if they can make a push. Remember, this team was in first place pretty much from the start of the season up until about three weeks ago. And then the Guardians have taken over. They've played well under Terry Francona, but then now you got to wonder whether or not the Twins are going to make a push here. And I'll take a look as we get into September what the schedule is going to look like between Cleveland and Minnesota, how many games they have left, because that's going to be critical. The White Sox, forget about it. This team has been a major disappointment throughout the whole year. I understand that they've tried to make some pushes right before the All-Star break, or I believe right after when they swept the Giants in San Francisco and you thought that they were going to take off, but then they lost two out of three to Minnesota in their building, and you thought from that point on that they weren't going to get their season on track, and here they are, 63 and 65. And you have to wonder whether or not Tony La Russa is going to be long for this job. Granted that he signed a three-year contract, if I'm not mistaken. Next year will be year three. Who knows if he steps down or fulfills the contract. Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the White Sox, he is tight with La Russa, so he's not going to do anything to upset that apple cart. But you have to wonder whether or not the players have tuned them out. You have to wonder, to a certain extent, has the game passed them by? Is he not able to connect to that player? Who knows? But the White Sox have had a dreadful season. 
considering that I picked them. Get ready for this, people. Check the receipts on this. Maybe you don't because it was just awful when you think about it. I picked them to go to the World Series. Forget about winning a division. That's all you need to know about the White Sox this year. And then you have the NL Central, Cardinals, Brewers. Cardinals have a comfortable lead. Five and a loss, but six games ahead of the Brewers. Although the Brewers have played a little bit better of late, but the Cardinals have been red hot. As I mentioned, winning two out of three over the weekend against the Braves. And that's all to discuss, people. I talked about the Yankee lead in the AL East. Houston's comfortable, even with Verlander on the shelf at the moment. And the Dodgers are riding high 50 games over 500 in the NL West. Which will lead to the biggest series of the week because the schedule, at least for the early part of the week, not really sexy at all. But you do have, possibly, an NLCS preview tomorrow night, City Field, Dodgers-Mets, which I'm sure you're going to get three sellouts here. It'll be nice to see the ballpark jam to the gills. I think you'll probably get that. You still have a faction of Dodger fans based on whatever's left of the Brooklyn Dodger fan base. And I understand there's not many, but considering that's been passed down, I'm sure, to their kids and grandkids that will flock to the ballpark Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Now, the Dodgers actually play in Miami in a wraparound four-game series tonight. So they are not in town as of yet, even with an off day today for the Mets. But that is going to be an enormous series, which I'm sure all eyes will be on in baseball to see where the Mets will stack up against the Dodgers. Now, when it comes to the playoffs and if they do meet in an LCS, is it really going to matter? No, but considering that they're playing this late in the season, at least it gives us something to look forward to. It's not as if these teams played in June or July where it's already over and forgotten about because this series is now late August into September at least it's something for the baseball fan and obviously for myself, the Met fan, could wrap our arms around as a barometer and maybe as a point to we can look at whether or not we stack up against this team. Mind you, Jacob DeGrom will pitch Wednesday as of right this moment. You'll have Taiwan Walker tomorrow night and then Chris Bassett there on Thursday night. And the Dodgers will pitch, let's see, Andrew Heaney. He will go Tuesday night. Tyler Anderson will go on Wednesday. And then Thursday, you'll have Dustin May. And that game is actually an afternoon game. It's 4-10. I thought it was a night game. So you'll have Dodgers-Mets in a big showdown, which I'm looking forward to, and I'm sure a lot of baseball fans are, starting tomorrow night. And speaking of the Mets, I do want to bring this up. And I think it's, for the baseball fan, I understand may not be wrapped up in it the way I was on Saturday with the old-timers day that the Mets had for the first time since 1979. And right away, that tells you who is responsible for not having an old-timers day since then. And shame on the Wilpons for not having this anytime soon. And I'll get to them in a minute. Let's talk about the day itself real quick. The organization brought back over 60 of their players, former managers, It was great to have this collection of Met greats and former players on the same field for the first time in forever. And watching this ceremony, the introductions, even the game that was played, a couple of innings, and of course, you're going to see a lot of follies, you're going to see a lot of bloopers out there, which is expected. You know, even Mike Piazza couldn't catch a pop-up, and he's recently retired, when you think about it. 
and Jose Reyes, who was out there, and he looks great, and we've seen him a couple of years ago, so it's not as if Reyes and his playing days were a half a decade or a decade old. But witnessing this at home and seeing all these players ushered in, there were still a lot of the players that weren't there. You, know, you didn't see Dave Kingman. I'm sure they extended an invite to him and quite a few other players that weren't able to make it, maybe even Carlos Beltran for that matter, and Carlos Delgado, and just of recent Met Vintage, and I'm sure they had other commitments. But to see some of these other players, the Felix Mions of the world, even John Stearns, God bless him. Remember, Stearns was a linebacker, was a burly guy, catcher for the Mets back there in the late 70s, early 80s, and to think... Obviously, he's going through some health issues. Certainly not the same guy that I remember when I saw him play as a boy. But watching this and just being able to soak all this in, even through my TV set, was something to watch. And I enjoyed every second of it. And now to get to the Wilpons, shame on them for not having this anytime soon or during their tenure as owners of the team. And it's just typical and it's a microcosm of the lack of respect that they had for the former player, the former Met player. And yes, they did have moments where they brought back Daryl or they brought back some of Mets from yesteryear. But they weren't part of the family. And it was indicated by Ray Knight during a press conference prior to the ceremony where he said that if it wasn't for Steve Cohen reaching out to him, there was no way he was going to come back. And Cohen has done that. He's brought a sense of family. He's brought a sense of unity and community, not only to the player, but also the extensions being the fans who rooted for these players. And he felt that it was important to have this day to the point where they even retired number 24, Willie Mays. His last couple of years in a baseball uniform was in that number 24 as a Met in 72-73. And since then, the Mets never really gave out that number, going back to the days of Joan Payson, who, if you watch the ceremony, Payson wanted to retire Willie's number, not only because of a Met, but as an ode to National League Baseball and what he meant to the fabric of New York during that time in the 50s with the New York Giants and, of course, them leaving to go to San Francisco in 1958. And they felt, even back then, that it was worthy for the organization to retire his number, and they did so this past Saturday. And I get it, you could look at it and say, all right, here are the Mets retiring another number for a player that was well in the twilight of his career. Granted, he meant so much to National League Baseball at a time where baseball in New York was at its pinnacle. When you had the Giants, Brooklyn Dodgers, and obviously the Yankees, seemed like they were in World Series every other year, Giants, Yankees, Dodgers, Yankees, etc., And for a baseball fan like myself, and even for a Met fan, that was something that I looked at. Cohen, his gesture, is acceptable. I get it. These retired numbers are going out of style, especially when you look at the Yankees, and now the Mets are starting to do this. Hernandez was worthy of it. I felt Kuzman, borderline. You just hope that it's not going to go down the road where they're going to start retiring all these numbers just for the sake of bringing fans to the ballpark, having a day, having a moment, and whether or not they deserve it, but we know for the fan that's out there, whether your name is Mike Piazza who deserved that day, Keith Hernandez and what he meant, David Wright is going to get his day, that's fine. 
and hopefully they stick to the trajectory of players who meant to the organization who may not be Hall of Famers, and we know David Wright's not going to be a Hall of Famer, and Keith, as we all know, is not in the Hall of Fame, but what they meant to the organization. Unfortunately, Daryl and Doc, they meant to that organization during that 80s period in a big time, but we also know the dark cloud that hung over both of them as far as them being Hall of Fame talents, but being far from the Hall of Fame based on their demons. But it to me, it was a hit overall. Thank you, Steve Cohen, for what you've done to bring this back. And then to go back to the Wilpons one last time, just a sense of history and not being able to put their fingers on it or wrap their arms around it. Uh, Think about this. They made a ballpark for Fred Wilpon, who was a Brooklyn Dodger fan, similar to Ebbets Field. All right, fine, you're going to do that. And I mean this in no way to disrespect Jackie Robinson. I mean, how could you? But they made a rotunda for Jackie Robinson, and I get it. Similar to what Steve Cohen's doing here with Willie Mays by putting his number up in the rafters, etc. And honoring Jackie Robinson with that rotunda. Okay, perfect, fine. But there was no other semblance of history in that building in those first three or four years until they started putting up, whether it be likenesses of players on the facades or on the walls, a Met Hall of Fame. You didn't get the Tom Seaver statue until earlier this year where poor Tom Seaver passed away a couple of years ago where this should have been probably opening day 2009 they should have had that statue out there. And they had no awareness to the connection of the organization, their team's history for the fan base and it was almost as if they didn't even care. And now that you have an owner that's come in here and has turned the whole culture around and brought in the manager that he wanted, and the way the teams performed this year, obviously the Seaver statue, this old-timers day, it was just incredible. And I understand this is more for the Met fan, and everybody knows I'm a diehard Met fan, and maybe the regular baseball fan is like, all right, Jay Reels, can we get past this? All right, understood, but I had to bring this up because watching this and seeing this and knowing that following this team, as long as I have, to have a day like this meant a lot. I'll get off that and move on. I want to big up Honolulu for winning the Little League World Series. Now, I didn't watch one pitch of this, but the only reason why I bring it up is because they're the fourth team from Hawaii to win a Little League World Series, and I believe the fourth in the last 18 to 20 years. So that's a great accomplishment. They beat Curacao, so I just wanted to give them a little shout-out. Congratulations to the Honolulu team. All right, now let's put the cleats away and I'm going to break out my tennis shoes and tennis racket. Yes, people, I'm going to talk tennis right now because the U.S. Open begins today. It's the final Grand Slam of the calendar year. And the biggest storyline going into this is Serena's last hurrah, and that's where I'm going to start. We've talked about this weeks ago with the Vogue magazine article, how the evolution may be coming after this tournament. And the way we've seen Serena Williams perform here over the last couple of months going back to Wimbledon and even some of these other smaller tournaments where she's been unable to get out of the first round. We saw that at Wimbledon, Harmony 10. We saw her lose to Emma Raducanu, who is the current and defending U.S. Open champ from last year. Who knows what's going to happen here? Who knows if she's going to have any type of run or if there's going to be even a victory out of the gate? Because what we've seen here from Serena, and I'm certainly not going to 
insult her physical ability and commitment, but would you be shocked if she bows out here in the first round? Now, I'm sure she's going to give it all she got, which she always does, and I'm sure that whatever gas is left in her tank, she's going to lay it all out in the line, but if she happens to get past the second round, I think it would be a surprise, and if she gets the next week, it'll be a huge upset. And I understand that may sound like a low blow. I understand that that may be a discredit to her for people who are out there who root for or are big fans of Serena Williams, and I love Serena Williams. How could you not? But based on what we've seen here over the last couple of months and knowing that she's close to the finish line and she's pretty much admitted that in that article, and once again, I'm not trying to say she's just going to give up. She's just going to lay her tennis racket out there and just wave to the crowd as she bids adieu onto the next chapter of her life. But once again, if she gets past the second round, it'll be a surprise. And if we see her this time next Monday still alive in this tournament, it will be an absolute shock. But I'm sure the accolades, and deservedly so, will be flooding on center court there, Arthur Ashe Court, for however long she may be alive in this tournament. And... I'm sure she'll have a press conference at some point. Yes, would it be great for her to go off into the sunset winning that 24th major tournament to equal Margaret Court all-time on the women's side? Absolutely. We want to see our heroes or the all-time greats go off into the sunset riding high like that, a la John Elway in Denver. But I can't see it. And that's not a knock. That's just based on what I've seen here. And that's not a knock. It's just based on what I've seen here, as I mentioned, over the past six, eight weeks or so. And on the women's side, I'll stick with that because it is as wide open as you could possibly have it. I understand you got Iga Swiatek, who is looking to win another major. She did not win Wimbledon. We know that she won the French. I'm sure she's chomping at the bit to get back out there to see if she can win another major tournament. You also have Raducanu, who I mentioned, as your defending champ. Naomi Osaka is going to participate. Let's see. It'd be great for tennis if she has a deep run here in this tournament to maybe win a U.S. Open. You also have Coco Goff, who has done well this year, but has not been able to get to a final and win it. Let's see if she's able to do so this time around. Elena Rybakina, who won the Wimbledon tournament just a couple months ago. Let's see if she has another spell of magic in her tennis racket to win back-to-back majors. On Jabour, who is a finalist in Wimbledon. Let's see what she has. But overall, this is a wide-open tournament. No Angelique Kerber, as she announced that she's pregnant. And I mentioned Serena, so women's side, it is pretty much a toss-up. Although Swiatek, I think, would be the favorite to win this tournament. And I'll even take Swiatek to win as a prediction. As for the men's side, the storyline there is Nick Kyrgios... Will he be able to piggyback the effort and the run that he had at Wimbledon to not only get back to a Grand Slam final, but to win it? Now, the men's side, not as wide open as the women's because you do have Rafael Nadal, who will go for his 23rd Grand Slam overall. We know about Daniel Medvedev, who did not play at Wimbledon and will be the defending champ here. Remember, he beat Novak Djokovic last year and thwarted his attempt to win a calendar Grand Slam. You also have Carlos Alcaraz. You'll, of course, have Stefanos 
Tsitsipas, no Alexander Zverev as he has an ankle injury, so you're not going to see him, but you still have a lot of the top men's players that could be a threat to Nadal, even to Medvedev to dethrone him as champ. And it's easy to say maybe Nadal, granted that he had to step out at Wimbledon. Remember, he did not play in the semifinal against Kyrgios because of the ab injury that he had. Who knows if he's 100%. I'm sure he's going to be raring to go. But will this injury crop up again? Who knows what the weather's going to be like? As it is right now, based on what I saw, it's going to be in the mid-80s throughout the course of the week, which is actually warm based on the last couple of U.S. Opens because it has been seasonally mild. And what I mean by that, it's been mid to upper 70s, which is comfortable and beautiful weather. But August has not been August over the last few years, where this year we've had a very hot summer. It's been very muggy. Even this morning, it's 74 degrees and the humidity is high before I recorded this. So let's see what Nadal's going to have in the tank as far as having that long run, having a chance to get back to a final and win a U.S. Open. And then Kyrgios, let's see if he can answer the bell to where he could go ahead and finally win his first major tournament. As far as Djokovic goes, he is not going to participate based on the vaccination status, not being a citizen, not being able to enter the country, which to me is puzzling because he performed at the U.S. Open last year. And you would think the restrictions were higher a year ago this time than they are now. And I get it if he's not vaccinated and cannot enter the country and he has not participated in any of the U.S. events that have taken place since Wimbledon. But let me be a little bit clear here as to why was he able to be on center court last year. Restrictions that weren't as loose or certainly were a lot more tighter than they are now. And him not being there, not going to say it's a big blow. Yes, you'd like to see the best men's tennis players out there, especially in the final Grand Slam of the year. But I just don't get why he's not there. And I understand the rules, people. I get it. But there last year and not there this year? Uh, Just puzzling to say the least. But on the men's side, I'd like to see the young Carlos Alcaraz win this tournament. And you know what? I'm going to throw his name as a prediction to win this tournament. Now, he still may be a little bit young, a little bit green, but if he really wants to take tennis by storm, this would be his time to win at 19 years of age, his first Grand Slam. I'm sure Medvedev is itching to go here, considering that he did not play at Wimbledon because of the restrictions with Russian players, because of what's gone on on that side of the globe. And then, of course, like I mentioned, no Djokovic, which lets out a little bit of steam or doesn't add more to the competitive fire of the men's side, but you still have the aforementioned players. To me, let's see what Nadal's going to do here based on his injury. And like I said, with Kyrgios and Medvedev, the young Alcaraz, Tsitsipas, who knows if there's an underdog that could lay in the weeds and maybe make a run. The Taylor Fritzes of the world who had a decent run at Wimbledon. We shall see. But I'm going to pick Alcaraz as a dark horse to win the U.S. Open. All right, now I'm going to go rapid fire with a few things before I close. NFL, the preseason concluded yesterday. Thank goodness. Now we could concentrate on the regular season, which I mentioned earlier is 10 days from today. Sadly, the biggest news of the week 
was stuff that either happened on the practice field or happened off the field. The first one on the practice field was the melee between the Rams and Bengals during a scrimmage to where Aaron Donald was doing his best Miles Garrett impression. Why was he swinging a helmet around? Who knows? I don't think he'll be suspended. I'm surprised that there hasn't been any type of news or whether it be a fine or suspension that's come down from this. I don't think he'll be suspended. I know it was inexcusable. I'm sure he's going to pay a hefty fine for it. You would think the NFL would crack down on this ASAP. I get it that it's during a scrimmage. Not many people watched. It wasn't during an exhibition game or obviously during a regular season game. But still, you can't have players swinging helmets and trying to use it as a weapon on other players. So that wasn't a good look there the other day between the Bengals and Rams as I guess maybe some tempers flared and some frustration going back to the Super Bowl. But you have that to look forward to, or at least you would think to look forward to, because the NFL has to do something about that. And then this scenario with the Bills punter, Matt Ariza, who had to be released because of a civil lawsuit that involved he and two other men of, I have to say it like this, a gang rape. An underage girl was involved back when he was at San Diego State. People, this is the world we live in. And I understand it's a civil lawsuit. It's not a criminal lawsuit. But because he's implicated with two other guys and being on an NFL team, and we've talked about this a million times, whether it's Deshaun Watson, whether it's Trevor Bauer, any type of behavior like this is not going to be tolerated, even if this happened while he was in college. And yes, you could say it's a little unfair. You could say, well, that happened years ago. And again, he hasn't been criminally charged. But again, 2022, this is the world we live in. Whenever you have a situation where the girl was underage, and that's what makes it even worse, but even if she wasn't underage, just being involved in an incident like that is not going to look good for an organization that's going to have to deal with the aftermath of that, all the questions, why is this guy still on the roster, why is he still on the team, why haven't you cut this guy, and it's just going to bring unwanted attention and a media firestorm to the organization, so they did what they had to do, and that's all there is to it. And sticking with football, Nick Saban got his extension. No shock there. I believe he signed to 2030. He's going to make $11 million a year. 70 years old. He feels young. A young 70. Good for him. I hope Alabama doesn't win. And also, just a note, Thursday I'll have a college football preview, which will probably last all but seven minutes because we pretty much know who are going to be the teams there that will compete for a college football playoff come late December, early January. But I just thought to tip my hand and get into that. You had two big injuries in the NBA. One, the rookie Chet Holmgren, second overall pick by the Oklahoma City Thunder, suffered a Lisfranc injury, which is a brutal injury. That happened to Cam Newton a few years ago, if you remember, where he was trying to guard LeBron James on a fast break in a Pro-Am game. Done for the year. When you look at Holmgren, and I mentioned this, check the receipts going back to when he played at Gonzaga. Forget about the NBA draft. He's long, he's lean, he needs to bulk up big time. Not to say he's going to be looking like Shaq, but these injuries, you have to wonder, especially foot injuries with big men. We've seen it a million times. Sean Bradley, the number one pick many years ago, Sixers, Nets, and also later on played for the Mavericks, a guy that was 7'6", but was built like a rail. 
And even though he had a long NBA career, but certainly did not have the success that a lot of people thought he would have based on his size. And we've seen that even recently with Kristaps Porzingis. A guy that is long, 7'3", has not been able to stay healthy ever since he tore his ACL. And now you have a scenario with Holmgren, who's not going to play this year for a team that is looking to build for the future. And just unfortunate that during pretty much a scrimmage, breaks his foot or has his list frank injury, which I believe it's an injury that's underneath the foot which separates your big toe from the arch of your foot. Just a tough injury, and he's going to have to sit out for the year. And then if you're a Celtic fan, like yours truly, Danilo Gallinari tears his meniscus as he was trailing on a fast break during a FIBA World Cup qualifying game. And watching that highlight, it looked like he banged his knees against the opponent, and then he hobbled off to the sideline behind the basket. Now, he was brought in for reinforcement for a Celtic team to play alongside, come off the bench, for either Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. You would think he's going to be out six to eight weeks, probably the beginning of training camp, which starts in late September. So now you're looking at him maybe even missing the start of the regular season, but you only hope for him to have a speedy recovery and that he's able to get back ASAP because the Celtics need him, and that's why they brought him on. A wing player, a guy who could shoot threes, who's long, who obviously could give a spell and a blow for either Brown or Tatum as we saw them running out of gas during the NBA Finals in particular, Jason Tatum. And then lastly with golf, Rory McIlroy won his third FedEx Cup yesterday as he did it coming from behind. And I only mention this because it was a big story in golf for two reasons. One, he did win his third overall, which was fantastic for him, but it's not a major. I can't get myself geeked up on a player who's won a tournament and give him credit for it three times, but it's not a Masters, it's not a U.S. Open, it's not a British or a PGA. I don't know what else to say, people. I know the Dino Wolkoff fan would say, Jay Reels, give him credit. I mean, the guy has been phenomenal. He came from behind. I believe it was even similar to how this all unfolded to where Scotty Scheffler, who won the Masters, and how Rory went into the final day with a shot to win the Masters, and as we all know, he didn't, to where Scheffler was in the lead, and then Rory came storming back to win the FedEx Cup. But I can't get wrapped up in that. I can't. It's not a major tournament. If it was, that probably would have been the second story after the baseball that I would have talked about. But to me, it's an afterthought. Obviously, I didn't watch. I make a mention of it for this reason. Not only the achievement by McElroy, but even more so now with the FedEx Cup over, you're going to have players that are start to defect to the live golf league. Cameron Smith will make that announcement probably in the coming days, if not coming hours, or even as I speak, which will be a blow to the PGA. So that's the only reason why I bring that up, because you may see some players take the hike to get the money over at the Live Golf Tour. And that'll do it. Another episode just about in the books, but as always, people, thank you for stopping by. Your participation is never taken for granted from yours truly. 
I thank you from the bottom of my heart to be a part of what it is I have to say, to share my thoughts, opinions, etc. And if you haven't done so, speaking of participation, if you can, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it. Want to increase the visibility of this podcast as I have a couple of things in the works as I'll touch on at the very end. But if you haven't done so, please give me a shout on whichever platform that you subscribe to to let everybody know that the J-Reels podcast is all that and then some. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, or praise, you could do so by going to any of my social media accounts, TikTok, the J-Reels podcast, Instagram, J-Reels, or the J-Reels podcast, Twitter, J-Reels1, just a number, Facebook, the J-Reels podcast fan page, or the old-fashioned way, the J-Reels podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J-Reels podcast. That's P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate your contribution because what that's going to do is going to go 100% to the production of this podcast, the equipment, the upkeep of the website. Because as I've said before, and I'll say it a million times over, I am not going anywhere, people. This is my passion. I've been doing this now over 285 episodes, and I plan to do 285,000 more if the good Lord keeps you here on his beautiful earth. And with a couple of more podcasts upcoming, especially the first one of September, this coming Thursday, and then I'll have another one on Friday, just to give you a heads up. Former All-Pro cornerback of the Houston Oilers and a bunch of other teams, Washington Redskins at the time, of course, the Minnesota Vikings, as well as the Kansas City Chiefs, Chris Dishman will join me. Had a conversation with him, which was very good. Talked about a lot of different things. He's a coach now for the XFL. We got into that. His relationship with Rod Woodson, who he played with in college, in the defensive backfield for the Purdue Boilermakers. We also talk about the heartache of that playoff game, 93, the famous one, 35-3, Houston at Buffalo, that divisional, or excuse me, that was actually a wild card game in the 93 season. So we talk about all that and a few other things, so you definitely don't want to miss that. That's coming Friday. So again, I'm not going anywhere. That's why I ask you to subscribe, rate, review, to throw me a few stars, write a review, because I want people to know that I'm not going anywhere, because... This is what I love to do. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA all day, every day. I love to get into anything and everything about what goes on in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Center to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.